0: I'm Matt, and I'm Jenna, we are Manna, and this is Food for Thought, a podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we will be talking about what everyone is talking about, the current coronavirus pandemic and how you can live your faith on lockdown. So I heard that Chuck Norris has been exposed to the coronavirus, and now the virus is in quarantine for a month. It's appropriate to have a little bit of humor during these difficult times, and welcome to episode 65. Yes, we're going to be talking about coronavirus, and I know everyone is talking about it, but don't worry, I am not professing to be any type of world expert on the virus, and I'm not really going to be talking about it in particular, but more about how do we live out our faith in these kind of changing and very atypical abnormal times. And so um, let's get into a peak, pit, and plug. Um, peak is that my family and I are healthy, um, and that's just so much to, to give thanks for on a daily basis and um, puts it into new light with everything that's going on. <clears throat> and just in the midst of all this craziness, have really seen a lot of goodness from people, uh, people allowing... Um, other people to um, you know be provided for instead of them to go in front of them in line in the supermarket and just a lot of looking out for one another on different community pages and things like that um, has been really great to see Um, a pit though is I've seen a lot of the, the opposite side of that you know a lot of darkness a lot of selfishness a lot of fear um you know obviously a lot of people panic buying and hoarding and trying to make a profit off of this is just really terrible um and deplorable honestly um so that's been hard to see um but a plug that I want to um, make you aware of is uh, whether or not you're part of the, the church or community uh, where I where I am, uh, St. Timothy's in Laguna Niguel. Um, if you want to look up our Facebook page, um, St. Timothy Catholic Church, um, I think it's uh, facebook.com slash C And uh, there's a ton of resources on there for stuff to be doing online, live stream masses, things that can hopefully be a benefit to you, Um, not just spiritual resources, but also entertainment, educational resources. If you have kids at home, if you are just kind of going stir crazy, um, a lot of basic necessity resources about um, employment um, supplement, uh, if you're under financial or economic strain, information about our food pantry, different, uh, ways that you can get meals for your kids, stuff like that is all on there, especially if you're local here to orange County, but if not, there's a lot of online stuff there as well. So I just want to, um, uh, encourage you to do that. Um, one great resource online, um, to a spiritual one is equipping There's a lot of great prayers on there, um, that I came across recently. So anyway, <clears throat> I think it's, it's uh, you know, pertinent to talk about this. And I know probably every other podcast and Catholic podcast you're listening to is talking about this. I'm not going to profess to be any expert because I find in times like this, you know, especially if you go on social media or watch the news um, or follow any of the media surrounding this, um, everyone's an expert, right? Everyone's a nurse or knows a nurse or knows someone in the government or knows, a, you know, whatever. Um, and then at the same time, nobody really knows anything at all. You know, and so I think um, that's something that we have to keep in mind. That's really our default position as Christians. It's like, you know, um, the second you think an ex, you're an expert, you're, you're probably moving into the realm of being a Pharisee. And um, we more so have to admit that we really don't know anything, that God is in control. And so, um, but when it's a pandemic like this, when it's something that people are really trying to get their head around, or wrap you know some sense of control around that's why we panic by right that's because we want to have a sense of control like well at least i know i can provide in this way even though i don't know what else is going on um it can be really frustrating because um the more we try and find accurate information the more we pay attention especially to the more pessimistic and foreboding stories like we can lose hope pretty easily um And yeah, social distancing, if you've heard that phrase, I'm sure you have at this point, is really important and necessary during this time. But isolation, like lack of connection and community, not to mention like the financial and economic impact that that can bring if you're being forced not to work or stay home, um, that's a breeding ground for real loneliness and anxiety, depression, uh, worry, maybe suicide and crisis for some people. Some people are uh, stuck in homes that are not safe, Um, children are in homes that can't provide normally if they're, um, you know, used to getting meals at school, um, families that are, um, dealing already with, you know, abuse or domestic violence. And now in this heightened emotional time that might worsen. And so I think we really need to be conscious of, of that going on. And if you're not experiencing any of that, like how privileged of a position you're in and how it's our responsibility to be reaching out to other people and just saying like, Hey, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Um, the, the, I think the most heartbreaking thing about this is, and this is why I wanted to talk about this is because I think we are being called to a specific type of response as Christians during a time like this, is I've seen so many posts and things on social media, many from other Catholic individuals who are influencers, who are people who are in the public eye in the Catholic world, um, all early on, not so much anymore, but all early on about this being kind of not that big of a deal um, because you know it's not affecting a huge number of people. And if it is, it's people who are older or who have preexisting conditions. And if you just wash your hands and you do the things you should be doing normally for your health to prevent spread of germs, like you'll be okay. Um, and look at how many people recover and how many people have mild symptoms. And however true or untrue any of that is, what I immediately saw when I read these things from people who profess to be pro-life is that old people don't matter. Sick people don't matter. People like my wife who have lupus and who's six and a half months pregnant don't matter. um, And it's only going to be a tragedy if someone important, quote unquote important, like an athlete, a political leader, or a celebrity gets it. I mean, everyone was heartbroken when they heard that Tom Hanks had it, or when the NBA was canceled, or all these other things. But, you know, for the week prior to that, when it was like, oh, you know, this is really affecting older people and such a small percentage of people in the world. And, you know, even though none of us are experts or know the science behind it or how, um, you know, contagious this is um, in in reality, because it's impossible to track all of the the cases, that there was just kind of this like this underlying um, non-pro-life message happening. And that was really heartbreaking for me to see that like any life loss that could be prevented by things that we could do to care for one another uh, is a tragedy and it doesn't matter who it is. And the fact then that we respond and we go and make sure that we're taken care of, that we have everything that we need and we you know wipe clean all the grocery stores And those people who are immunocompromised, who are seniors, who are people who, um, you know, can't get around as easy or as frequently or shouldn't be out in public as easy or infrequently already because they already worry about illness and things like that, um, they're just kind of left with nothing. And that's just super depressing and tragic to see. And I think we really need to be aware of that because this really what we're experiencing as a culture is an anti-Lent. You know, I think it's there's no irony Or there's so much irony. There's no mistake that this happens during Lent because what is Lent about? It's about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And what are we doing? Like prayer, we're supposed to be relying on God and making time for him. But now we're scrambling to assume control and trust in ourselves and try and fit time in, like fit everything else in to make sure that we're covering the kids and like, you know, um, making sure everything is provided for and all of this. We're not trusting in him. Um, fasting when we're supposed to be willing to go without certain things and maintain self-control. People are losing it and hoarding and losing control of, you know, like the things that they think, you know, matter. Uh, and then almsgiving, like we're supposed to be serving one another and thinking of those who are vulnerable. And instead, most people are thinking and preparing just for themselves. And I think it's no mistake that this is happening during Lent. You know, I saw someone post like something that said, well, I'm giving up a lot more this Lent than I had thought of initially. And I just thought that was kind of funny, a humorous way of looking at it because yeah, we have to go without. But that means there's a real invitation here to dive deeper into Lent. And I want to say something a little bit about, because, you know, you're always going to see those, I think, fundamentalist interpretations of big world uh, epidemics or tragedies like this where a lot of fundamentalist Christian pastors or conservative Christians will say this is like the scourge of God. Like God is doing this and punishing us because of how we've turned away from him. That is not how God works. Anyone who says that believes in some mysterious, false, unreal dictator in the sky. Like that is not who God is. God did not cause this to happen. I want you to hear that. God did not cause this to happen. He did not want this to happen. He did not plan for this to happen. I've said this before. God's plan for you and me was the Garden of Eden. That was his plan A. That's what he wanted for us. That's what he still wants for us. That's why he prepared a new Eden for us in the resurrection and the life in heaven and the kingdom of God that we are eternally destined to if we live in relationship with him. That's what he still wants. That's his plan. That's his goal. That's what he is constantly acting to bring about in our lives. However, he does allow certain things to happen because if he removed every sense of choice, every sense of suffering, trial, anything like that from our experience, well, we would have no need for him, no need for one another, no need for courage, bravery, love, compassion, uh, sacrifice. We would um, be forced to choose him because we would have no other choice. We would be like uh, emotionless love robots. And that is not free. God wants us to love freely because you cannot truly love if it is not truly free. I can't force someone to marry me at an altar and say, oh, we're really in love. No, they have to freely choose. And if they do, and if I let them freely choose, that means I'm entertaining the idea that they could say no. And that's what God does for us. He doesn't force us, but He allows us to make our own choice. And when we allowed original sin, as humans to enter into the world. And it would have happened probably eventually. um, But when we allowed that to do that, we allowed that to happen. uh, The world became fallen and our nature became fallen. And so God allows that to continue. However, he doesn't leave it there. This is an important thing to remember. He doesn't leave it there that out of any suffering, any sin, that's a result um, of being in a fallen world or making fallen decisions. God can and will always seek to bring out our greatest possible good. Think about this. The worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world is that God was killed. That Jesus became man to save us, and instead of listening, we killed him. That's like the biggest failure that you could have on paper. And yet, out of that, he brought our greatest good. He brought redemption of sin and resurrection. And a promise that we will rise again and be with him in in eternal life forever. And I think like this, you know, as terrible as this is and as as um, anxiety producing as it can be for many people, I think this is really an invitation to dive deeper into Lent and to dive deeper into the things that really matter. Like we're being forced to. To not be busy, to not be running around back and forth, to not be consumed with what we're accomplishing or what's happening on social media, um, but to really put down media so it's not toxic for us, and to be with family and to stay safe and to just be, to live simply again. And what a gift that can be. And what a life-saving gift that can be for other people. Um, Like, I think our fundamental responsibility, first and foremost as Christians, is to get the heck home. You know, and to figure out like who we can serve, who we can help, whether it's a neighbor, a family member, someone we can call, FaceTime, someone we can go on a grocery run for when we're out doing the things that we need to do, um, at least while we still have the freedom to do so, at least here in California. But yeah, I anticipate that in our state or even in our country is going to change probably pretty soon, <clears throat> that we need to just be aware of how we're paying attention to one another. Um, and so maybe, you know, for prayer in Lent, like we have more time, we have more time and we are more in need of trusting God than ever. I mean, if you think about this as a Christian, as a real Christian, this is a win-win situation. I know that sounds crazy, but this really is a win-win situation because A, we have faith in God that we will be preserved from this. And we are, and that's a win. Or B, we have faith in God that if we do contract this illness, that he will heal us, and he will, and we win. Or C, we have faith in God that he is who he says he is, and even if we contract this, and should we die, we will be with him forever in eternal life, in perfect love, unity, harmony, the fullness of our desires, and and the fullness of our poss- greatest possible good will be realized. That is all a win. There's no downside. And I know that's like you may think that's very, very hopeful and way too optimistic. But really, if we really believe that God is who he says he is and we really honestly trust in him. Then that's going to be what we think, you know, now I, I fluctuate on days from going from something like that and being like, all right, Lord, if it's your will, it's your will, but then also fluctuating to extreme worry because like, I don't want to be the one who brings this home to my wife and my daughter, my wife who's pregnant and immunocompromised, who has lupus, and my daughter who's, you know, um, almost two years old, and watching them suffer because I was being irresponsible. And so, you know, yes, I need to have a positive spiritual disposition, but I also need to have a very prepared. And, um, you know, hyper vigilant way of preventing this spread to the people I love and to anybody else, even if I don't even know them. Um, And so I think like that involves a lot of trust and we're not good at trusting, especially someone that we can't see. And so um, I might include um, in the show notes to this, um, there's a really great, beautiful litany that was written by the Sisters of Life that I've been praying every day of Lent. It's called the Litany of Trust. And I mean, it will wreck you. Uh, it's just, there's statements in there. Every day, a different statement just stands out to me and it's like, yep, that's exactly where I'm at today, what I'm really struggling with. Help me trust you, Lord, in the midst of this. It's not very long. You can pray it in like a minute or two. And it just really helps me see like the ways that, wow, like maybe I haven't really trusted God. Maybe I've like always like, relied on him or maybe i've trusted that he's like there like the garbage man is there like the garbage man is going to come take out the trash like i trust that's going to happen but my life really isn't going to be affected if it doesn't happen you know on time or in the right way but entrusting things to god like really relying and surrendering to him you know like i'm not gonna go like tell the garbage guy like here here's my kid can you watch him for a couple hours i trust you like no like i don't know him you know like i i But that's how we really need to come to God in trust. Um, And if we're afraid, um, you know, every fear ultimately is a fear of death. Like we're the only reason we're afraid of something is we're because we are afraid of death um, or a lack of control, which is a death to self, Um, which really, you know, it all ultimately has to do with a fear of death. And if we have a fear of death, that means maybe we need to really assess like where we're at with the Lord. Maybe we need to get to confession while we can. Maybe we need to make a perfect act of contrition if we can't get to confession, which is a real possibility for a lot of people now already or soon, um, that we need to really be uh, paying attention to ways um, we can be more devoted and present to who God is calling us to be and really be aware of the ways that maybe we've been selfish. Maybe we've pretended to trust in God and gone through the motions, but but maybe you really don't. Um, and so I think all that has to do with our prayer. Our, our prayer is your relationship with God. Like what what does that really look like when it comes down to it? You know, if we have any fear, then that ultimately comes from a fear of death. And why are we afraid to die? Well, usually because we're afraid of letting go of the things we're leaving behind, which means we're too attached, or we're afraid of where we might go when we die, which means we're not kind of meeting our end of the, the relationship with God here and doing what we, we should be doing. And so I want to encourage you to, um, you know, dive into scripture a little bit and be reminded that the most repeated command in all of scripture is be not afraid. Like that's the promise. Like Jesus is basically saying over and over again, like you can trust me, you can trust me. Don't be afraid. You can trust me. Don't be afraid. So I think this is an invitation to deeper prayer. It's an invitation into deeper fasting. Like we have to be willing to be uncomfortable and to go without certain things. Um, we can teach our family and our children what solidarity looks like, like with the poor, with the people who are really suffering, uh, what it is to go without certain luxuries. Um, you know, keep in mind in this country, in the United States, we will not run out of food. I mean, that I can't even imagine that happening because in this country, we waste three times as much food every day as would be needed to cure world hunger that day. You know, in the West, I think we have, what, like 10% of the world's population, but we consume 70% of its resources. Like, we are not going to run out of food. We're not going to run out of resources. They might just be in limited supply right now because of just getting them to where we need to be, and people keep hoarding them for their own benefit or their own fear. But eventually that will level off. People will run out of room to put things, or they'll be too scared to leave their homes, and they have enough to where they won't need to but um you know it will level off and things will fill back up and i see it already happening in some places um nearby you know so i think that's just something we have to be comfortable with going without certain things and trusting that like it'll come back like all every government official all the experts everyone is saying just get what you need for the week because you know it's it's we're not going to run out like those things are going to keep happening you know so um <clears throat> just be aware you know be aware that that's a um something that's not going to be, you know, something that we're dealing with. I think the worst that would happen initially is that we would be on a 14-day quarantine, but you would still be able to leave your home for groceries and, you know, pharmacy visits, which they're able to do in other places in the world. Um, and, you know, having an emergency ply of two weeks of food, it does not require panic buying. It just requires maybe you double up, you know, on a couple things. So, um, and get some things that are more, have a little more shelf life. But, um, you know, we just need to be aware of that. Uh, and then almsgiving, um, you know, how are we being invited to call or provide services or take communion or shop or give child care, connect to people who are really struggling right now? Um, I know we really should and want to limit our contact with other people, um, but, you know, a phone call, uh, a FaceTime um, you know, a kind word, uh, seeing if anyone needs anything and pointing them at least to where there's resources. Maybe you don't even need to like leave your house to do this. But, you know, I think if we all made an effort to maybe just call two or three people every day and just say like, Hey, how are you doing? Uh, do you need anything? You know? Okay. Yeah. Let me figure out if I can find where that is for you or get someone to bring that to you, you know, um, call your local church or your local, you know, community center or, um, you know, community resources. Um, you know, I, Uh, On our Facebook page that I recommended to you earlier, we have a ton of that stuff already up there. That was posted um, today, uh, which is Tuesday, March 17th, and Monday, March 16th. Uh, So when you listen to this, you can go back and see all these different things available online, all these different resources, um, all these different things uh, available to people who need it. And so I just want to encourage you to think about how God is calling us um, to live this out. You know, Pope Francis said something really Uh, disturbing. You know, Um, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but he basically said like, um, if we don't show up for people right now, uh, we have no reason to expect that they're going to show up back to church when this is over. Uh, We need to put our money where our mouth is. And if we really are the most charitable organization in the world, um, which we are, we need to be living it out, not just in the institutions that have professed to do that and the different groups like Catholic Charities and CRS and, you know, um, different people involved in, in outreach, every single Christian needs to think about how can I uh, especially practice the spiritual works of mercy? How can I counsel the doubtful, instruct the ignorant? How can I admonish the sinner, forgive wrongs patiently? Like how can I do those things? How can I pray for the living and the dead? Um, Those things don't require us being in face-to-face contact with anyone. And if you can, and you desire to, and it's, you know, you feel it's your missionary call to do the corporal works of mercy in some smaller, big way, like then do that. But, um, you know, just be aware there's something all of us can be doing. No one is limited from reaching out, creating community, and living out our Christian faith even when we're on lockdown, even if we're in inside of our homes, like being a better witness to our family, making sure Sunday is still a time for prayer, live streaming a mass in your home. If you don't know how to do that, reach out to somebody. Reach out to me. Like, I can point you in the right direction. Um, but those are things that we just really need to be— Doing to band together and to support one another. And so um, I just want to leave you with some words of encouragement um, from Scripture and then tell you about a saint. Actually, I have two saints for you today um, because why not? The more the merrier. Um, but uh, this is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. Power, love, self-control. Those are the things that we as Christians profess to stand in. And really, you can link each one of those to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Self-control is fasting, love is almsgiving, and power is prayer. Knowing that, you know, the power of healing and the power of, um, you know, eternal life and the power that God has over everything, um, if we align ourselves with his will and and entrust our life to him, there's power in that. You know, there's a powerful peace that can come in that. And so uh, maybe to pray through that verse a little bit, 2 Timothy 1.7, um, and just see how God is speaking to you through that. Um, another one that I love is from Matthew 25. Um, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 is where it starts. Um, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. And um, this is all about worry. Um, you know, I've, I had someone in my life who used to say, uh, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And if you find that you're kind of like glued to your screen trying to figure out all the latest information and cases and where the curve is at this in the United States, it's just going to make you go nuts. Like, you know, you need to take a break from that for your own mental health. Um, And so um, this is what Jesus says about worrying. Um, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you, by worrying, at a single moment to your lifespan? Worrying doesn't do anything. You know, it doesn't help us. Uh, it's good to be informed. It's good to be practical and to take precautions and to be hypervigilant to help ourselves, uh, ourselves and our community stay healthy. Um, but eventually we have to draw a line between how much negativity and media we're willing to consume and put ourselves and our family through. Um, and so do not worry. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 13. This is a very commonly quoted um, verse. Um, and people will often say, oh, yes, see, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I hate that phrase because it's not true. Um, listen to this, no trial has come to you what is human, but what is human? God is faithful and will not let you be tried beyond your strength. But with the trial, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. The real theological truth is that God will not give you anything more than you can handle without him. That we need to rely on God and trust that he will provide a way out He will provide something that is our greatest good. And as it says in John 10:10, I came that you would have life and that you would have it with abundance, that God only desires our absolute greatest good in life. We need to remember that. We need to hold fast to that truth, the peace that can come with that. And I know that it's easier said than done. And you may be in an unbearable, unfathomable situation of worry right now, not knowing where the next dollar is going to come from, how you're going to provide, where you're going to get resources, maybe even worried on top of that about leaving the house because you're paranoid about getting sick or spreading it or you're germaphobe or you have a pre-existing condition or whatever. All of those things, like I know, Will make this so 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 difficult and I can't I can't relate you know I, I know I can't relate to your situation I know I have my own worry and I know I relate to a few of those things in my own context but yours is probably different and I'm not here to explain that away or to give you advice to make you feel better I'm here to say like God knows God knows what you're going through and you can trust in him he's a loving father who wants nothing but your greatest good your healing and your protection and so we need to to turn to him together and to, to reach out to people who are so consumed by their anxiety and worry that they can't and to encourage them. And maybe if you're listening to this and you feel like I just, I'm, I'm so freaked out uh, by this. um, I want to encourage you, like find someone to just have community with, reach out, ask for help and just spend some time talking to them. Maybe even set up a time to talk every day. Um, I'm probably at some point, soon as I'm getting a plan together for this week on our parish Facebook page, going to be using zoom to just put links up there for different Bible studies, praying the rosary together, maybe just having a check-in where people can get together and say like, Hey, you know, uh, I'm having a rough week. Like, you know, I just need some prayer and we can pray together. Take advantage of stuff like that. And if you want to come in on those, even if you're not part of the St. Tim's community, you're more than welcome to because you are by extension by listening to this. Um, You're my community and and that's enough. And so uh, you're not alone. God will not leave you abandoned or by yourself. And remember that. And so I want to share with you two saints. The first one, ironically, uh, is the one that I had not prepared, but just came across my desk uh, within the past few days. And that is uh, Saint Corona. That's her name. Her feast day is May 14th. And guess what? She's the patron saint of pandemics. How ironic is that? Um, And so I think her intercession and particularly that day of May 14th, there's some kind of, you know, I don't know, hopefully some kind of prophecy of victory that's going to happen before or on that day, by that day um for her intercession and so let's remember to be asking for her to pray for us. Her story is really cool. She was um alive um before the formal process of canonization. Um somewhere around um the year in, in the 900s and um there was a Roman soldier named Victor who was being tortured because he was Christian and she was 16. Uh she was married and she was a Christian but her husband didn't know. And she saw this man, this soldier being beaten, and she, uh, in front of everyone, announced her Christianity and told them to stop. And the emperor um, was so um, upset um, that he, she was brought before him, and um, he was a really wicked man named Sebastian, and he ordered um, that she be um, like torn in half by two trees that were bent down and released, and then um, Victor was beheaded. And they were both uh, canonized. Um, And their feast day is the same day, um, St. Corona and St. Victor on May 14th. And so we just asked for their intercession during this difficult time that they were willing to stand up even in the face of like sure death. And we're not near that, you know, or anywhere close to that in this country, but we could be, you know, And, and I don't mean to say that to scare you. But I think we need to just be prepared for the fact that we need to be vigilant and that we can do a lot still right now to make sure that that doesn't happen. And we need that prayer and that intercession from saints who, who've been through things like this. She's the patron saint of pandemics because there was a pandemic actually going on, um, um, in the, in the middle of, a um, um, in the middle of, of Italy. Um, there's a pandemic going on right now. Um, sorry, I got my thoughts crossed. Um, and it's a basilica where the relics of St. Victor and St. Corona have been preserved. Um, and she's, you know, the patron saint of, of pandemics, uh, I think is part of that reason, I don't know if there was something going on at the time of her life that makes that also apply. I couldn't find that in any of my reading, but I just did a little cursory reading of her. Um, But the saint I also want to recommend to you is a great saint you've probably heard of before, St. Damien of Molokai. Um, He lived January 3rd, 1840 to April 15th, 1889. So he was only 49 when he died. And he's the patron of leprosy, Um, and his feast day is May 10th, another May day coming up. Um, I think there's just going to be a glorious week in May when this is probably all over and their intercession can be credited. Um, but he was born, um... He was Belgian. He was born Joseph de Voyster. He was the youngest of seven, fourth boy, um, son of a farming merchant. And instead of inheriting that family business, he ended up going to college, getting educated, and entering the seminary. And he joined the Congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary, which is the congregation that two of his sisters and one of his brothers also entered. So this is a super holy family, which is pretty awesome. Um... But his brother was actually meant to be sent to uh, minister to the leper colony in Hawaii on the island of Molokai, but he couldn't because he was ill. So Damien went in his place. Uh, And so he was ordained there in Hawaii at 21 in the cathedral, which is um, the place which is now the cathedral in Honolulu. And he ministered to the natives there that were struggling with different things, labor shortages, imported diseases, And one of those diseases was leprosy. And eventually about 8,000 people would be quarantined on a peninsula facility on the island of Molokai. Um, And so um, they were kind of meant to self-support themselves, grow their own crops and things like that, but they couldn't. You know, it's a pretty debilitating disease. And so Father Damien volunteered with a few other priests to go. Uh, No bishop wanted to order anyone there, but they volunteered um, and they had, um, because this colony had couldn't really provide for themselves, they just kind of fallen into really sinful, bad behavior. Um, and he went there and with his brother priests, uh, ministered to them, cared for the patients himself, um, established leadership within the community to start building homes, schools, roads, hospitals, churches. He dressed their wounds. He built a reservoir. He would make coffins, dig graves. He shared pipes and food with them um, with his hands, uh, providing uh, medical and emotional support. Um, The king of Hawaii at the time, King David Kalakaua, um, bestowed on him the the high honor of knight commander of the royal order of Kalakaua, which was um, his, his order of knights, which was a huge honor. And then in December of 1884, while he was preparing to bathe, He inadvertently put his foot into scalding hot water and it caused his skin to blister, but he felt nothing. And he realized he had contracted leprosy after 11 years of working in the colony. And he uh, continued having it for five years. He had a limp. Um, He had a lot of different things going on, um, you know, with him that caused him to have his arm in a sling that he could barely get around, barely walk. Um, And he continued to work as long and as hard as he could. And he died at the age of 49. Um, a few things, quotes from him. Um, he once said, I would not be cured if the price of the cure was that I must leave the island and give up my work. I'm perfectly resigned to my lot. Do not feel sorry for me. And secondly, uh, without the blessed sacrament, a position like mine would be intolerable that we need to remember that Christ is present to us in the Eucharist, even in spiritual communion, if we can't get to mass and that, um, you know, sometimes we, we desire to be cured, but Jesus really wants to heal us. And maybe if we are really struggling with trust, uh, struggling with fear, there's a deeper wound, a deeper spiritual wound there that Jesus would rather heal, um, than just simply prevent an illness. And yes, he has the power to do that in prayer. And, um, I think we also just need to be aware of, um, his healing power and his presence in our life. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I hope you know that we're praying for you and that um, there is hope that you can trust in the Lord, that he wants your greatest good and to allow him to bring you peace, to allow this to be an opportunity for greater prayer, fasting and almsgiving in your own life, a time to connect with people better and to finally have maybe a break from the chaos and the busyness and to not let the strain financially, economically uh, burden you with what's going on, um, just to really allow God to be present to you where you are and to trust in him. And so uh, I don't know what these next few episodes are going to look like, but we will continue providing them for you as best we can uh, during this time. And know that we are praying for you. Uh, Reach out if you have any uh, need for encouragement, ideas for topics during this time, if you have anything particular to this experience that we can help you with. And know that we are praying for you, and we will see you in the Eucharist.